If you would, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of them. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of them, and whatever more you spend, I will return and repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Uh, imagine, if you will, that you are a minority in a country that doesn't want you. So imagine that, that you are not only the ethnic minority, but you're also the religious minority, and the city, and the region, and the empire, or the country that you live in, is full of people that do not like you because of your ethnicity and because of your religion. And there's only a small group of you that you know of, and so what you do is you live your life each and every day trying to stay as tight and close-knit of a community as possible because everyone around you doesn't want you in their community. This is the average life of a Jewish person in first century Rome. They were strangers in their own land. They, they were brought back by God from the exile into Jerusalem and the greater Palestinian area, which was then ruled by Greece, and pretty soon it was ruled by, uh, by Rome. And, and the Jewish people were a small group of people, and they were an ethnic minority in the larger Roman world. And not only were they an ethnic minority, but they worshipped a completely different God than any of the Romans around them. And so they didn't go and worship idols in a temple that, that uh, sacrifices food and, and does evil things. They went to a clean temple. And they went to a clean temple, and they also went to, to a synagogue where they learned about their law. And what they learned is not like the Romans who believed that there were many gods and that the many gods 
lived in nature and that the many gods could be manipulated by man, the Jewish people believed that there was one God, one merciful God, and you must worship him. This is the life of a Jewish person in the greater Roman country. And they had an enemy within the enemy. Not only were they enemies to the Roman Empire, there was another group of people that lived right next to them called the Samaritans. And these Samaritans were also an ethnic minority within the larger Roman Empire. And the Samaritans, too, had their own way of worship. They believed that they, too, were worshiping the one true God, the Jewish God, Yahweh. They believed that they were worshiping Yahweh, and they had a set of teachings that they followed, but it was different from their Jewish brothers and sisters. And over the centuries... They became enemies to one another because they worshiped differently. And we see this in John chapter 8 when Jesus meets the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. Do you remember that story? When she she meets with Jesus, she even says to Jesus, Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You believe that, that I'm a nobody. You believe that where I worship on this mountain is not the proper place of worship. You believe that we should worship in Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, there's coming a day when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But until that comes, what Jesus is pointing out in this story when he talks about the Good Samaritan is he's talking about the enemy of the Jewish people. So not only are the Jewish people surrounded by the enemy on high in the Roman Empire, and not only are they surrounded by the enemy outside of them with pagan worship, they now have people that are claiming to be just like them who are also enemies. And they were enemies for centuries before all of this. They would desecrate one another's temples. They would get into fights and wars with one another. And so when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, it opens up for us what our understanding of neighbor is. And here's how it goes. Jesus has just sent 70 of his disciples out to do ministry in the country. And when the, when the 70 come back to him, they begin to uh, rejoice and they begin to tell him all of the wonderful things that God has done. And they begin to give testimonies about how people became true believers and, and demons left people and, 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 and people were healed. And, and they're speaking these testimonies to Jesus. And Jesus is overjoyed and he begins to pray out loud to God the Father. And he says, God, I am so thankful that you have revealed your truth to these people. And that as these people come to know me, they come to know you. Thank you, Father. And then, have you ever had somebody rain on your parade? Have you, have you ever had a really good day and then somebody ruins it? By talking to you? That's this lawyer. And this lawyer is, is just like Jesus. He's, he's a fellow Jewish man. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher of the law. This lawyer studies the law professionally. And so he looks at Jesus. And Jesus just gave that prayer. God, thank you for revealing your truth to your people here. And then the lawyer says... I'm going to see if I'm smarter than this guy. 
And it says he stood up, and the intention was to test Jesus. It, it wasn't to actually get his opinion. It, 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 was, it was to try to trick him. See, his hope was probably that he could ask a question that everybody would know the answer to, and Jesus would fumble over his words, and then the lawyer could say, Aha! You're a false teacher. You don't really know the law like I know the law. And so Jesus having, you know, a lot of people try to trap Jesus. It never worked. But this guy tries and he says, Teacher, I have a question for you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do for, for me to remain in a covenant with God? Okay, notice, by the way, just really quick, This isn't a works righteousness issue. He's not asking, how do I earn salvation? He's saying, Rabbi, teacher, I'm in a covenant with God, and he expects certain things out of me. What are those things that I'm supposed to do to be in a relationship with God? And Jesus, knowing that this is a test, says to him, basically says, well, you know the answer. But he turns it around, of course, and he says, well, what does the law read to you? So first of all, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to fall into your trap. I know the answer, you know the answer, but I'm going to turn it around. You tell me what you think the answer is, and I'll let you know if I agree or not. And so the man gives a legitimate answer. The two answers are love God and love your neighbor, love other people. And this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Leviticus chapter 19. Very simple. The whole law, the Ten Commandments are summed up in those two requirements. Love God and love your neighbor. And so when he says this back to Jesus, Jesus agrees with him. And he says, absolutely, that's what we learned in school growing up. That's what our parents taught us. That's what God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. So you've answered correctly. But then notice something changes within the lawyer. Something changes because he's no longer testing. The, the first question is a test. All right, I want to see if Jesus is as smart as I am. And then Jesus' question turns it back around on him, and now this man is, is doing another question. We've got a lot of questions here. But this one now is not an issue of a test. He's not trying to test Jesus. It, he's trying to justify himself. Which means as he answers Jesus' question, he's beginning to realize there might be more to this law than what I realized in my heart. And so to justify himself, he asks the question, well, can you describe to me who you think is my neighbor according to the law? Because if you go back to Leviticus, if you go back to that passage, Leviticus 19, and it talks about loving your neighbor and loving the sojourner, those who travel through your country, it's predicated on this idea that they own the land. It's predicated on the idea that God has given them all of the land, all the tribes own the land according to the covenant with God. And this man is now asking the question, well, wait a second, Jesus, we're under Roman rule right now. And we're waiting for the day that God gives us the land back. So in this situation, when I don't own the land per se, the Roman government says I'm allowed to use it, and when I'm not a citizen of this country that I'm living in, who's my neighbor? 
Because before, centuries ago, generations ago, it was very simple. Those within the land, those within the, the Hebrew community that were in a covenant with God, that was my neighbor. That was very easy, Jesus. And then if somebody walked through my land, I was required to give them some food for their journey. So that's simple, but Jesus, we're living in a different day here. We're not in rule. We're the minority. And everybody else around us is, is worshiping pagans, and they're not following your law, and there's only a small group of us, and, and we're trying to help one another out. Who's my neighbor? And so to answer the question, Jesus does what, what he does often, and that is he tells a story. And so he tells the story of a man that's going on a journey. And it's presumed that the man that Jesus is talking about is a Jewish man, like Jesus, like this lawyer, like the disciples listening. So he says a man is going on a journey, and he comes to a place where he's taken over by robbers. And so this is a place that, who knows, maybe the man didn't know the robbers were going to be there. Maybe, maybe he knew that it was a dangerous road, but he took the risk anyway. In any case, robbers overtake him. They take everything he owns, and they leave him for dead. All right, so, so far, in our story, we have the victim. Okay, we, we have the victim, and we have the antagonist. All right, the antagonist is the robber. The victim is the man that was left for dead. And then Jesus says, and a priest came along. There's our protagonist, right? There's the good guy. Hero is coming along because this priest, just like the lawyer, just like Jesus, a teacher of the law, he's going to know. Who's my neighbor? Well, it's anybody within the land, right? It's any of my fellow Jewish people. And if this man is Jewish and I'm Jewish, I should love my neighbor just as I love God. And so Jesus introduces the priest. A priest just happened to be walking along. And right there, the story's done, right? The priest stops by the man that was beaten and he says, Oh man, this is my fellow neighbor. I need to help him. And so he picks him up and he takes care of him and, and takes him to an inn. Nope. Says the priest saw him, passed by on the other side of the road, and continued on. And then further he says, but by chance, a Levite came along. Okay, okay. I understood why the priest didn't stop because if the priest is headed down to Jerusalem, he's probably got temple duties. And so if he's headed down to Jerusalem and he has temple duties and this man is truly dead, not just left for dead, but if I'm looking at him and I see no clothes and I see he's not moving, he's probably a dead man, the priest probably shouldn't touch him. Because if the priest touches him, he can't enter into the temple. And if it's his week for te temple duty, there weren't phones to text another priest. You know, there, there wasn't a hotline that you could call to get a substitute in. There was no priest for the temple. And so the lawyer is listening to this, and he's probably thinking, that's, okay, I see where Jesus is headed with this. I, I see, I see. Jesus is letting the priest off the hook because he has higher requirements in the temple than any of us. Okay, okay. Who's coming along next? Well, it's the Levite. Well, okay, Levites have a lot of rules. Okay, they're, they're not supposed to shave their head, they're not supposed to drink wine, and, and they've got a lot more rules than the average Jewish man, but not as much as the priest. And the Levite, surely, he's going to help this poor guy on the road. 
And what does Jesus tell in the story but that the Levite passes over him? So now we got two Jewish people who, who, by the way, are not just average Jewish people. These are teachers of the law. The priest would have known as much about the law as this lawyer and as Jesus. The Levite surely would have known a good amount of the law if he has extra requirements to live by. And so, back to the question that the lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? How do I inherit eternal life? This is all a question. How do I live in a covenant relationship with God? How do I live this out? And Jesus says, well, obviously the priest and the Levite weren't living it out correctly. And then Jesus does something just... I, th I think we take it for granted. I don't know. Because I've heard this story, I don't know, a million times at least growing up in the church. We've heard it a million times, and I think we take for granted what Jesus is doing here when he says it was the Samaritan that came along and took care of the man on the side of the road. I, I don't know if we fully understand what that means to the lawyer that was listening to the story. In fact, I, I don't even want to say it, but I think for the sake of our understanding of this passage... I'm going to say it. And it's going to be emotional, and you're not going to like it, and I don't like saying it. But here it goes. It would be as if, though, I told the same story, and the hero of the story was with ISIS. I don't like that at all, whatsoever. They are an enemy. And Jesus says it was a Samaritan, somebody that has desecrated their temple, somebody that has hurt their people, somebody that claims to be worshiping the same God, but isn't worshiping their God. And Jesus says it was the Samaritan that came along and took care of the Jewish man on the road. And not only took care of him, but washed his wounds and then took him to an inn, took him to a place where somebody else could take care of him, paid for his stay, and then said, whatever more you put into this man, I'll come back and pay you. And so at this point, the lawyer is probably not liking what he hears within this story. Because remember, they're living under enemy rule. The Romans are their enemies, they are looking forward to the day that God would get rid of the Romans and would establish his kingdom there in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans are also their enemy. They do damage to their community. We do not associate with them. In fact, in fact, remember last week we talked about James and John, the sons of thunder? It was Samaria that they offered to pray to God to destroy because they wouldn't receive Jesus. Think about that. Followers of Jesus Christ who have seen his unconditional love cared so little for Samaria that when Jesus was not accepted there, they said, we'll just have God kill them all. Are you okay with that, Jesus? We'll just make sure that God destroys that city because they didn't accept you. And now Jesus is making this guy the good guy in the story? 
But this is all coming back around to that bigger question. Remember what it was. The bigger question wasn't, who is my neighbor? The bigger question was, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I live within that covenant with God the Father? How do I maintain this relationship so that I'm blessed with eternity with God? And Jesus' answer is, well, who do you think in this story was really living out the covenant that God established with man? And the lawyer has to answer. And, and notice, notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. He doesn't, he doesn't say the Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy. The one who saw the man lying on the road and said, I'll help him out. And so Jesus' answer was, Go and do likewise. So that broader question, how do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I live within a covenant relationship with God the Father? And the answer is very simple. Actually live out the covenant relationship with God the Father, which is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how Jesus twists that around. The question was, who is my neighbor? And what Jesus twists around is, how can you be a neighbor? How can you actually live out what the law intended for you to live out? And the man has to answer, to live it out even with those that despise me the most. Even with those that disagree with me ideologically, that hate me because of who I am, that hate me because of how much I love God. Jesus is saying if you want to maintain that relationship with God the Father, you have to actually live it out in your daily life. And so where do we go from here? How, how does this affect our Christian life? Well, very simply, the first is, to remember that the purpose of the law was to teach us grace and mercy. The purpose of the law was that you would live it out, and as you lived out the law, you would begin to understand the relationship you have with God and the relationship you have with other people. And so as you look through the Old Testament, I mean, you know, there's, there's food laws and, and there's cleanliness laws, but those weren't the only ones. There were very good laws there. There were laws that said if you have a field and you harvest that field, you need to keep one-tenth of that field open so that anybody coming through the land could have their pick of food. They had laws in there that talked about how to, how to get somebody their property back if they lost it. They had laws in there that elevated the status of people that back in the day had no status in the world. And so God's law intended that when we read it, we would understand grace and mercy. But what Paul talks about in the book of Romans, chapter 8, is he says, our bodies couldn't handle it. He, he says, our flesh, we're so full of sin that when we read the law, we don't understand how to live it out. But then he says, thank God he sent Jesus to die on the cross and be raised to new life so that the work he did on the cross can be done in our hearts, which means... Your excuse and my excuse for following the law is nowhere to be found. We don't have to look at the law and say, okay, what do I do today? Oh, man, 
Did I eat meat from an animal whose hoof was too, and he chewed the grass? We don't have to do that. That, by the way, was one of the laws that I still don't understand. Thankfully, I don't have to live it out. But anyway, what, what God is pointing out is that now the law is in our heart. And he even, he even has Jeremiah prophesy this in the book of Jeremiah and says there will be a day that, that you won't even need to read the law because it will be embedded in your heart and you'll live it out just by instinct, just by the leading of the Holy Spirit. You'll know what's right and wrong and you'll live out the love of God every day. And so the law was intended to teach grace and mercy. And what Jesus was pointing out to, to his lawyer, to this lawyer here, was that he was not understanding that the law was meant to teach grace and mercy. He was thinking of it in, in terms of rules and regulations. And, and if I mess one part up, God is going to deal with me. He's going to discipline me. And what Jesus is pointing out is, no, the law itself was meant for your good, and now the Holy Spirit can lead you into that life, and you can live it out every day. You now have a great relationship with God the Father, and you can have a great relationship with everyone around you, because Jesus has done that work in your heart. The second point we get from this passage is that if you're more concerned about following the rules than showing mercy to people around you, you've got things confused. If, if you're trying to live a life that, that's just, you know, okay, I've got to do this, this, and this, or else God is going to be mad at me. And I've and got to do this, this, and this, or else, you know, something bad is going to happen. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is that you would turn that around and others outside of you would see what's going on in your heart. So not only does the law teach grace and mercy, not only does Jesus now embed that into our hearts and change us to follow him, now we're living it out in such a way that everyone around us should be able to notice the difference. They should be able to look at our life and say, you are strange. You don't do this. And I, who knows, maybe you've come to the point where you can articulate it and you can say, well, Jesus has saved me from the law of sin and death and, and now I, I just choose. I don't want to sin. I want to serve God and I don't have to sin, but now I can serve God. Or maybe you can articulate it and you can say, yeah, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, God, God did something. I, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I know that God loves me, so now I love everybody, and I don't want to sin against God. That's the place that God is trying to bring us to. Third point that we have here, and I think this is really important for where we're at, especially in America. And, and, and I was trying to think of how to say this here today, because it seems like, Every year in politics just gets a little worse. It, it just seems like every year, especially election year, we talk about how divided the country is. And, and the country is so divided. 
and we just, just need somebody to unite us. And I was actually thinking, my goodness, we've been saying this since I was a kid. Even to the point that the presidents that I heard people didn't like when I was a kid are now saying, man, he was a good guy, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. I loved his policies. And so we are in a divided time, but it seems like we've always been at a divided time. But as Christians, we have to realize something. As much as we're battling for the truth of God's word in this divided country, that truth will only be realized if we're taking the proper actions. The battle for truth is going to be won and lost in how we treat other people. Because we can proclaim the truth with our mouth all we want, but if people are looking at the actions and attitudes that we have to one another, they're going to start to question if that truth is even worth anything, if it's not changing the core of our being. If we're having these conversations with people out in the world, we have to remember that part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what God has given us and enabled us to live out, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I, have, by the, I haven't described a political party yet, have I? What did I say? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. This is from Galatians. You should be living out the truth that is in God's word in how you treat other people. Because in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the lawyer at the end of the day didn't care that the priest was following his priestly duties by staying away from a possibly dead body. He cared that his enemy came beside him and helped him no matter what. That's the kind of life that we're called to live out in this world. We are called to proclaim truth, and, and I, I, I don't want to lessen that at all. In fact, it takes a lot of courage when you're talking, especially with more than one person, but if you're talking with a group of people and you know that you're the religious minority in that group, and, and you know, you know of, of the six people in the room one-sixth of us believe in God's word, and that's me. It's tough to speak up. It's, it, that is hard to speak up and say, guys, I think you're wrong because I've read the scripture and the scripture says this. That is difficult, and that takes strength. But what also takes strength is to be able to quote God's word and then live out God's word and be able to approach your enemy with grace and mercy. And so when we ask that broader question that this lawyer has asked, how do I maintain this covenant with God? How do I, how do I live in this relationship? And the answer is very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. Think of the person that you love the least. That is your neighbor. Do what the Samaritan did. Go and show mercy. Live out God's truth in your heart. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that even though at one point we were enemies with you, you had grace and mercy on us. Thank you, God, that when, when we were following in our own ways and, and we were not living a godly life in you, that you called us to your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you called us into your presence, that you called us to follow you and you allowed us to say yes. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us, for, for taking this law and putting it in our heart and letting us live it out. And so we pray, God, that as we leave this place, we would recognize those that don't love us. We would recognize those that have a difficult time with the truth that we proclaim and that you would strengthen us to proclaim that truth boldly and that you would also strengthen us to live out your truth boldly. So we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you give us the power for this work.